0: Mark, 1, 2,
1: 3, 4, 5 I'm going to cook a meal that's going to make you mine We're turning up the oven, now we're ready to roast When you touch me, honey, you'll love the most Come on and put me in your
2: loving shoe Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is producer, filmmaker, Sam Haley Welcome to the show
3: Hi right, Stuart, thanks for having me along today
2: uh, on the podcast. We're going to talk about, in a moment or two, so you've had an idea, three do's and don'ts, which is uh, looking at the development of screenplays to make into films. Now before we get into that, we'll, let's discuss a couple of examples of films you've been involved
3: with. i produced eight films
0: mm-hmm.
3: as producer, so I've developed them you know, developed several others that never went like everyone else. And I work for lots of development labs around the world. And I've probably worked on at least another 80 films. Half of them have gone into production. So in some way, shape or form, a story consultant, exec producer, or development mentor, or script editor, or any of those kind of sort of titles that people give you, yeah, uh sometimes it's just thanks um but uh, in the credits, but yeah, so I've probably worked on about thirty or forty films that have been made and about over a hundred in total that have been developed at least, so to give a bit of context.
2: So we're going to talk about, just briefly touch on two projects so we can give people an idea of what development might look like, and they're two different ways in, and you've talked about the kind of work you do. So you, the, the film Island of the Hungry Ghosts is one you've produced to the end. Do you want to talk about what, what the development was on that and where you got involved?
3: I met Gabrielle, uh, who's the writer-director. It's a hybrid film. Uh, So it's about one of her friends yeah, uh, um, who's a torture and trauma therapist working on Christmas Island, which is where you get sent if you're trying to enter Australia by sea. So it's this weird uh, internment camp Mm. on this island that looks like somewhere a pirate might shipwreck one of his enemies. Yeah. Uh, And I met, Gabrielle when she was desperately trying to make this film and tell Pauline the tortured and trauma therapist story. So there's been quite a lot of films made about uh, asylum seekers' journeys, yeah. uh, fire at sea and things like this, and certainly loads of sort of journalistic and TV-based documentary stuff. But Gabrielle comes from a fine art background and she wanted to sort of have a different lilt on it. And anyway, I met her and we started talking and I couldn't believe the story. And Christmas Island itself is famous for, uh, I can't remember, it's like 50 million red crabs that um, migrate to the sea every year and they have their babies and then the babies stay at sea for three years and then go back to Christmas Island. And it's this weird natural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, And I think... um, like David Attenborough type shows every time they do islands or crabs or the famous red crabs of Christmas Island get sent a stage. Anyway, so also on Christmas Island is this Australian government place where you get sent if you're trying to escape persecution and enter Australia by sea. It's about 400 miles north of the Northern Territory. It's a dot in the ocean. And anyway, Gab was desperate to kind of have some of the counselling sessions in the film, but she knew she couldn't film in the uh, in the in the pr- prison. I don't know if I can call it a prison, but in the camp or yeah. in the in the facility yeah. is probably the right word itself. And I kind of had this big long discussion with her about breaking her shackles of ultimate truth hmm. because if she maintained and desired ultimate truth only, she wouldn't have a film. And what I suggested was that she um, do recon of the therapy sessions. Because there's no way she could shoot film in the, in the facility and the counsellor or the therapist was her friend anyway. Mm. So um, and there's a whole story about, when she first went to Christmas Island, this, that, and the other. And she was looking for a producer for what she was still calling then an art project, (coughs) But she's based in Berlin, even though she's Australian-British. So I hooked her up with a German producer. And then she had an Australian producer who managed to raise a little bit of money out of Australia. And then they circled back to me and said, did I want to be the British producer on the film? And I kind of said, well, yeah, because I really like and i really love the film and i think there's potential so we really got into the nuts and bolts of how can we do this uh recon and so what we ended up doing was people who'd been granted asylum who were then in australia we utilize or asked invited them to come and sort of retell their story with poe in a uh in a therapy room okay so it was real people telling their real stories but under controlled conditions or if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. and that was the catalyst and obviously i used to call it like breaking your shackles uh to sort of free you up as a filmmaker but that was the catalyst for this sort of art piece to really become a proper hybrid film and then really drill down into the psychology of the therapist and the film itself is actually really about the therapist's journey rather than the asylum seeker's journey, which is an angle that we don't normally see. So that idea in that documentary-esque space of just letting go of purity was the catalyst for the film that it was. And actually... It's the most successful film I ever made, in terms of recoupment, in terms of awards, in terms of festivals. I think it won as a feature. It won like twenty-five global awards. It was nominated for an Independent Spirit. Amazing. It had, uh, yeah, and it was bonkers. There was five festivals that wanted to premiere it. And where did it premiere? Tribeca. Oh, nice one. And and it won Best Documentary at Tribeca. And it premiered at Visions de Real on the same day. So we had the world premiere and then the European premiere on the same day. And it won like the Human Rights Award at Visions de Real in Sion in Switzerland. So we had this double crazy whammy day where we premiered the film twice. and, And it's a lovely little film. I think it's available on BFI Player plug plug, but it is on BFI Player. De-
2: it's also on, um, on on Prime for those that don't subscribe to BFI Player.
3: Uh, yes, because we made a sale to Amazon. But the idea of just letting, freeing yourself up, rather than dogmatically demanding truth, actually was the catalyst for the whole direction of the sound. Team.
2: Sounds a lot like uh, the way that. Uh, Josh Oppenheimer works, like the actor of killing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like that. A little bit like that. And I know that Gab really liked his films, but she wanted. She, at the start. She was so firmly dogmatic. It has to be pure, as she kept saying. What a pure, um, what a pure documentary or a pure drama. Well, a pure documentary in that, you know, she, she was trying to work out how she could film in the facility. So she could film these counseling sessions or these, you know, therapy sessions, and that was causing a block for her. It was like a stuck point. Mm. And just persuading her to let go of that, then cascaded into this
2: fantastic.
3: But yeah, it made a different film, and that was literally just from saying, "Break the shackles. Don't be so dogmatic. Free yourself up." So that's one.
2: So that was that was 2019. Uh, so like it's what you said. That's available on BFI Player to listeners in the UK. Um, yeah. Now a film that you've you were just saying before we started recording has just gone into gone into production, as it were, is a film called Tiger Stripe. So do you want to tell us how how you got to be involved in that one and what what you're involved in?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, Tiger Stripe. I was for about three years. I worked with Locarno Open Doors. And I think they call them godparents, uh, but basically it means mentor. Uh, and so you take a project or two on and you go to Locarno, or I also did it during lockdown. So on Zoom or whatever, you go to Locarno, you meet your project, you engage with them, you have your sessions, you do your thing, you then meet them online afterwards and you sort of coach them through development but that was much more uh, just purely script development. So not production stuff. I didn't get involved as a producer. I didn't raise money like I did for Island of the Hungry Ghosts. Mm. Um, So I was literally like, literally like sort of like godparent or that story consultant, whatever, whatever. So they sent me the script beforehand. um, And I, and it's a horror film. Mm -hmm. It's a body horror film uh, where a young girl who's just about coming of age, getting her period, she starts to turn into a tiger. So there's a little sort of uh, sub-genre of these fem- female coming-of-age body horrors like Raw and Out Into Blue, I think it's called, the one where she's a mermaid. Jennifer's there's Body. Called, yeah, Jennifer's Body. There's one called Bitch where she's a dog. Mm. uh and anyway so tiger stripes so our 12 13 year old girl gets a period by the way i carry as well in a way yeah 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 um, yeah, yeah the classic gets that telekinetic ability after um coming of age or getting a period or whatever and so doing this work and i did a sort of analog breakdown of this script, and. I kind of, it It had such a good plunging sort of story shape where things just got worse and worse and worse and worse for the girl and everyone around her. And you didn't kind of know. And then there was a nice little bump at the end. So she sort of meets a, there's a sort of an older woman who has also been through this journey that she sort of has this lovely, side eye relationship with throughout the film but it's it's a malaysian film it's set in malaysia and so there's loads of school stuff, and then they try and get the witch doctor involved and then there is a tiger on the loose so like the local village is trying to catch a tiger while this girl is physically turning into a tiger and it's and then we started talking about structure and functionality and I was like the structure is really nice and everything but around the end of the second act where we felt our main character all was sort of going to go wrong or go tits or whatever it just suddenly got really plotty there was loads of stuff about school and exams, loads of stuff about the local witch doctor loads of stuff about the police and the Animal experts trying to catch the tiger, and there was about six or eight scenes where it was just all plot, yeah. And I said to um Amanda the writer, I said, "Look, I think this is the problem. This is the moment where because it's beautifully written, you know the, the age old terrible note that you get from producers and financiers and whoever, which is we like you." We like your story world. We like your characters. Just something isn't quite working. And it's such an annoying note because you're just like, what is it? But people can't necessarily put their finger on it. And then you kind of go, oh, the money people are the anti-arts and they don't understand. And it's actually, they really do understand. They just can't quite put their finger on it because they haven't got the time like a, godfather mentor type figure to sit and really go through the script line by line because they intuitively know that something's not quite working anyway i said to amanda and lefi the producer look it's around the end of the second act it's just all plot and we lose our character and we lose our theme and we lose all genre and everything else and they were like no we don't shut up and I said right let's get the page out and we looked at like those six or eight pages and Amanda was like shit you're right it's just all about the exams coming up and the and the and the nature reserve people trying to catch the tiger and the you know whatever else the witch doctor of the village trying to do a spell or whatever and it was just like literally all plotty stuff yeah 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 and then, so after that kind of initial meeting, she went back and she rewrote the script and she totally changed the end of the second act and the start of the third act. And it's a classic sort of three act in that film. Mm. And then she sent me the script and I was like, you've, you've nailed it. This is great. You've kept the shape. You haven't done big ex- excavation where you've ruined what you had, but yet you've really identified or you've really gone to town on the bit we all identified together that mm. was... Causing this something's not working problem. And they've addressed it. And then the next thing I know, I see in Screen International selected for Cine Foundation. And then the next thing I know, it's got Hubert bowels money and they're on the road, And then Lefi emails me saying we're going to shoot. And then literally this week, I got an email saying they've wrapped, they've got their tiger stripes t-shirt for me. Come oh, is- have- on. Can you give me your address, Sam? Because we're going to send it to your crew T-shirt. And as soon as we've got a cut, can we send you a cut? And it's like, when stuff like that happens, when you've sort of been slightly involved as opposed to fully involved, like I was on Island.
0: Yeah.
3: And people come back and they kind of remember your help. is lovely. But the idea of functionality of scenes was... I mean, y- y- a
2: mutual friend of ours, Ashley Horner. Um, yeah. I I developed a script with him that we were getting exactly what you were talking about. There's something not quite right, but we don't know what it is. We like the world and all that. We, exactly what you said, and and Ashley and I obviously then had to try and figure it out. And we did a number of drafts, and when all we were doing was ba- the the script was essentially doing the the equivalent of bashing its head against a brick wall because we weren't yeah. addressing the real issue. And we were. It wasn't so much a kind of it's the second half of act two. We realized it was the wrong, we, we kind of worked out it's the wrong point of view. Like we were doing, we were telling, yeah. it was a two-ander, so there was only 50-50 chance of getting it right or wrong. And we'd been working this idea of a father-daughter story and focusing on the father saving the daughter. And then we went, hold on a minute, what if the daughter is the one that's overcome with all the magical supernatural stuff and the father is a victim? And suddenly it just like, like fucking dominoes falling over it just all flotted into place and it but it but but it took that kind of going to the edge of the cliff and going we're gonna have to throw this away it's not working
3: yeah and it's great in those situations because the action doesn't change no it's not like plot changes or the action changes or the beats change but you just figure it out the sort of functionality and it's at that point what you're saying is about probably about narrative or character Rather than, but but, funny enough, like
2: I (laughs) hadn't thought about it till you said it. What we had come up against is that we suddenly we were just throwing plot that we thought was logical to to finish the just to finish the story, but it wasn't the story we were telling.
3: Yeah, no, that's exactly right, and I think you know it's sort of a nice segue a little bit there, but people. Tend to even quite experienced people sometimes tend to just start putting ideas on top of ideas, and it doesn't solve the underlying yeah issue.
2: No, it's a big lesson for me that it was kind of because I I was obviously frightened that we were just going to it just come to an end, and so I was des- you yeah. kind of in that desperate idea, but you had to accept that that could have been the outcome. But then, yeah, uh, it the
3: outcome.
2: but then it, it, we 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 came at it from another angle, and suddenly it could be rewritten and be very different but also still be the same film people think thought they were getting involved with so no right then let's move swiftly along then into the world of so you've had an idea three do's and don'ts by Sam Haley before we do i'm just going to set up the alarm so bear with me while i do that and i'm going to edit this out when i do because i've got to find me me new alarm
3: mm-hmm. Is it still the dog barking?
2: No, no, we don't do it. The dog barking's too quiet, I've discovered. I now do a s like a, an alarm you hear in a boat. Um
3: so All right. that.
2: So it'll be slightly different for you from what others you've heard. The, the more recent ones have got this on, but uh so right then. So you've had an idea, three do's and don'ts. We're gonna follow the five-minute rule. So Sam has given me three headings to talk to and I will join in the conversation, hopefully. And every time five minutes elapses, we will hear the wonderful tones of
1: the alarm on my iPhone, which is going to sound... This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. And why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H Money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast.
0: Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?
2: Now, you can hear that at your end, okay, Sam? Yeah. Brilliant. We're good to go. So, having had that general conversation about films you've been involved with and how you tackle development, your first bullet point is don't rush into pages. What are you getting at there, Sam?
3: I think a lot of writers, especially people that haven't had many feature credits or sold scripts, tend to have an idea. And yes, of course, they do a bit of research or they do uh, uh, some character work or da 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 da. But they're very, very, very eager to start hammering pages out. You know, they want to get like Mank, get in bed, get the typewriter out and start writing pages because they can see the scenes and they can see the characters. And they've, even if they've worked the story out a little bit, they're, just so keen and it is so hard in development to undo fully rounded scenes and pages because you become wedded to them, you write dialogue which is brilliant, you write certain little uh, descriptors and it can be the death of a project and it's like if part of the advice is to not overwrite when you do pages so you don't want what i call dungeons and dragons descriptions when you see people playing dungeons and dragons on stranger things or if you ever played it as a kid you know you walk into a room and there is a desk and a table, and at the table there is a thing, and on the table there is a thing, and on the walls there are three (coughs) pictures. And so you don't want any of that in a script unless it's absolutely vital. So one of the pictures is crucial. Mention that one, not the other two, for example. Hmm. It doesn't give characterization away what's on someone's desk. But, you know, you get all of this in pages and pages, and people are doing this, and... Actually, it can become almost impossible to undo because people become wedded to stuff and you lose the thrust of the story. So if you dive straight into pages, you tend to overwrite. And what my advice would be was to do the underwriting first. So by that, I mean, what's the story world? What's the story shape? What type of story are you telling? Have you done your research into the thematics that you're exploring? Do you understand why you're exploring those thematics? I always get writers to do sort of personal theme exercises, write a 500 word stream of consciousness about this provocative statement or that provocative statement. Like I'm doing a little bit of work with some guys who want to do a boxing film. And I've kind of said things like toxic masculinity is the worst element of society, 500 words go. And so it's not like about boxing or the sports film. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about deeper, much deeper stuff that go or another. Is that, is that, statement. is that
2: because that gets the writer thinking about something beyond the idea of like in that instance, what a boxing match is like?
3: Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and a, a boxing film is quite a good one to use as an example for because, it, it, they all follow the same thing, right? Yeah. They need to be a, 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 a boxer that we kind of feel for, who has a problem, who solves it through boxing and in the end wins or loses valiantly.
2: Yeah. A beautiful loser becomes a beautiful winner in some way, shape and form.
3: Exactly. And, you know, f- from Rocky to blonde fist to girl fight, they all do the same thing. Mm. But I really wanted them to, they're quite inexperienced and and one of them's an actual boxer uh, and a professional boxer and I wanted them to really think about what's underneath their story before they start writing the character or anything. So I get them writing their responses to these provocative statements. The other thing, another one, and I gave them about 10 or 15. um, Another one I asked them to do was oh. The Underworld circles boxing.
2: It's really interesting because in a way what you're saying, it sounds like a, a it sounds like a really logical way of addressing of getting them to address why this story and why now. That question's really yeah, hard exactly. to answer. But when you go write yeah. founded words about what you think about toxic masculinity, you begin to excavate with them why they're writing this yeah. film and
3: why now, aren't you? Oh. Yeah. There's the alarm sound. Don't dive into pages. Do the underwriting, and then you won't write when you actually get to your pages.
2: I totally agree. I can. I mean, I Keith Bell, another mutual friend of ours, did a, yep. did a, did exact almost did exactly the same with me. But what he did was he kept telling me to telling me he suggested that I write write the words on the character we talked about on the phone, and then it was right about the next character. And then we said, right, how do they relate? So then it was like, write something about how they relate. None of this is script pages. This is just handwritten, mm. and then it's re- typed up into something. Because when you handwrite it and then you type it up, you're editing anyway, so you're kind of refining yeah. your thoughts. So yeah, it's
3: it, a good way of doing it. Or in a GDoc, yeah. where, where two or three people could see it and make notes <coughs> or comments or whatever. So, yeah.
2: Exactly. The number two in your three do's and don'ts, of so you've had an idea is don't retell true stories. Now, that might sound contradictory to people who see a lot of biopics. What
3: do you mean? When somebody's writing a biopic of a famous person, yeah, there's a lot of research and resources go into the Will Smith, Muhammad Ali thing and lots of so on and so on. But it still has to be adapted to fit a story structure that we will except as an audience. And I I don't know why I picked Muhammad Ali. Maybe it's because we were just talking about boxing. But um, again, I've come into contact quite a few times with writers who aren't doing the big Hollywood biopics. But they're writing an event from their own life. Okay. Because it was dramatic or it was interesting or exciting or unique. And all of those things may be true, but real life isn't a film. Real life isn't 90 to 100 minutes long. Real life isn't... And, you so know, he said
2: to me once, real life doesn't make sense. A screenplay has to.
3: Exactly. That's a really good way of sort of encapsulating what I'm getting at. And I was working with this one writer once, and specifically, and it, but this is... It, uh emblematic of a lot of conversations I've had. Okay, And I was going, this doesn't fit, this doesn't work, you can't you know, dramatically the, again, the story world was great, the characters were great and some of the ideas were great. It was sort of this odd couple buddy movie between a young teen and an older teen mm. uh, set in Liverpool. And But the writer kept going, but that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what's going to stay in the script. I was there, I know, and this scene that I've written is exactly what happened and I'm not going to change it. And in the end, it was me that was banging my head against the brick wall because I couldn't do anything with it. And the script died and it had development money because everyone loved the short films that this person had made. And bought into the idea. And I was able to sort of pitch what I thought the idea could be and i raised not an insignificant amount of development money. And it died on the vine because literally, the writer refused to map and this is how I would describe it. it is fine to want to retell bits of your own life but what i ask writers to do is to take the emotion of that event and then map it on to a fictional event for your character because your character is not you and your character's story window isn't your life
2: my favorite example would be like 24-hour party people which literally says up front we're not going to tell you the truth
3: (laughs) yeah great exactly and so some of the things like Joy Division and Happy Mondays are in that film. Those mm. things happened, but it's been made into a film. Yeah. It's like when you, even if you adapt a novel, it takes, I'm led to believe it takes nine hours to read an average length novel aloud, right? Mm. Uh, you haven't got nine hours in a film. And of course, we see stuff, but you have to adapt a film, a novel yeah. to fit the school. When people say to me, what do you mean? It's like one super prime example is one of the Harry Potter novels. Uh, He gets the broomstick given to him from Sirius uh, at the start of that one particular novel or halfway through. And in the film, he gets given it at the end because they adapt it. And even though those films are really long, you can't, it's been, stuff has been moved around to make it work for the screen, Absolutely. and even in a like Harry Potter where you've got hundred million gazillion and all the rest of it, they still have to do it. It's and, really, it's really it's interesting.
2: I've, I've, I've explored this with. It's interesting what you can drop in at three quarters in a book. You could never do three quarters of the way in a film. It would completely yeah. destroy it. Equally, a lot of what you drop in at three quarters away in a book, you want to open your film with it. It's kind of, it's, it's this weird. It's a really, I mean, it's a very basic way of looking at it. I'm sure there's people got more experience than me of adapting would would point to it.
3: But I think as well, there's that idea of when it's your own life and it's like, I can remember this event either from my childhood or from last week or something. And it's so, and yeah, the emotion, but it's the emotion that you want to write. There you go right on cube. The emotion you want to write, map it onto a new thing, for the character to experience rather than, that's exactly what happened in real life, Sam, so I'm keeping it.
2: A script that I, that I I recently attended, this thing called The Owl Screenwriting Workshop in Athens, and the project that I went with was inspired entirely by me not being able to see my mum while she was in hospital during lockdown. Now, I haven't written about my mum. I've put all that anxiety of not seeing your mum into a mother character. And then weirdly, through examining it with the workshops, I realised that the male character... Who is two people in a cab, and the male character in the cab (laughs) is actually me. It's like it was really weird. I hadn't I hadn't set out to do it, but it was only when other people started to feed back to me on what they were
3: seeing. I was like, hold on a minute. Organically, you've done exactly the note.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's good to know. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's like you it's like you're not conscious of it, but I I knew that to say, to just pick out episodes of mum's life would have been a way, wouldn't have been a a thing to do it was more about i'm anxious and what i'm anxious about the, the, the mother that i that i admire and love you know and so put that yeah. into a script it's like it's different it ends up with something different right then we're going to do a do now we've done two don'ts now this is a yeah, do okay. and you're saying plan your structure now you've mentioned this a few times now about this in 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 mm-hmm. as part of the conversations on the other two so what do you mean by plan your structure
3: Well, um, you sort of said something a little bit there about you can't really drop in three quarters of the way through a film what you can in a novel. Hmm. And it's like, if you know what genre you're working in and if you've done lots of your underwriting, which includes watching and reading screenplay, watching films and reading screenplays, honestly as well, read the screenplay while you watch the film. I don't know if anyone does this. Oh, I do it all the time. Unbelievably brilliant and illuminating, and greater than the sum of its parts. Totally Watch really... films with the pause button as well as part of your underwriting, so you can really start to understand oh, this is happening then. And da, 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 da. don't try and reinvent the wheel. And unless you're a jazz musician, most things go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And whether it's hip hop or metal or indie or folk or any other sort of it's a version of verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus and it's that structure that allows us as humans access because we recognize the pattern and then we can access the lyrics harmonies melodies and solos that we love and we go this is our favorite band or these lyrics are the great they talk to me if it didn't have the structure you wouldn't be able to access it Jazz is the only real exception, I think, in the same way that sort of crazy avant-garde, Salvador Dali-esque filmmaking is the only real exception. But that stuff doesn't sell tickets. The Stan Brakhage is brilliant and so on and so on. But it's, you know, once it's been done once, it never needs to be done again, that kind of stuff. Same with jazz, where they go, you know, four four bars off they go and then go. Yeah, Chelsea then Girls
2: back. by Andy Warhol is a great experiment, but I wouldn't want
3: to sit through it. Right, exactly. It's exactly. And it's like, that's not going to get your film financed. So you have to hit certain markers. I always like to think about um, uh, Old Faithful in Yellowstone Park, right? It's, it classically is meant to go off every hour, but it goes off in between 57 and 80 minutes or something. Mm. And so, No one knows quite when it's going to blow each time, but they know it's roughly going to be about every hour. So about every hour after it's gone, crowds gather, but you still get shocked as out when it goes because you don't know exactly when it's coming, right? But you know it's coming. And that, um, that sort of known surprise, if you like, is what you're going for in a script so knowing your structure
2: so let me just so just to qualify it so when you say structure we we, we mean we mean beyond like we're beyond the beginning middle begin the middle and end is a structure obviously that's the three-act structure but what you're talking about is a structure in the sense of this is our descent story works this is our revenge story works is that what you mean the structure a a structural revenge is is typically the same the world over
3: yeah, a redemption story. Redemption, things salvation. They got better, et cetera, et cetera. Um,
2: okay, no, just wanted to make it clear. So for people listening, you mean you mean the the type of structure that you apply to the story you're telling?
3: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, every different book, whether it's McKee or Save the Cat or there's thousands out there, they'll give you slightly different things, whatever. But know your structure. You've got to hook people in. You've got to pay people off at the end. You've got to know the um, the tropes to subvert them. I'm a big midpoint fan, and I think um, the midpoint has become so vital in streaming world. At the theatre, you 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 have less walkouts, right? Yeah. But on streamers. How many times have everyone started something? 10 minutes, not for me. If you can get people to the midpoint, they mm. will almost certainly watch to the end. And that midpoint where everything changes is vital.
2: One of my one of my favorites, it's not a midpoint. It was the it was the kind of inciting incident of a of a of a film. It was a film Christmas horror called Better Watch Out. And I'm watching it and I'm going, this is just your typical. God, tr- a cliched home invasion movie. And then just as I was about to, almost like by the second when I was going to walk out of the cinema, it subverted all my expectations. Like, oh my God, this film is doing something new. I need to stay in my seat. And it was so clever exactly. in the way that it set all my expectations to the point of, oh, this is a home invasion movie. And you're like, no, it's not. And
3: you're like, fuck. Yeah, great. Yeah, right. And it's like the classic midpoint for me is Jaws starts off on the shore, first half on the shore, second half, three men in a boat on the open water actually fighting the monster. Yeah. In the midpoint, the boat leaving. And if people, are, for example, Jaws is the classic one. It's, it's a straight up monster film, but the first half is all about the do's and don'ts and the character and shall we keep the beach open and everyone's got a different idea And the second half is just three men in a boat against a shark.
2: But also it does the other thing, which is a classic thriller trope, which is for the first half of the movie, you're running away from the monster. And for the second half of the movie, you're running at the monster.
3: Yeah, exactly. And it changes at the point.
2: Because that gives you, that's what you kind of, because it'd be boring to run away from something for 1920 minutes.
3: Yeah, exactly. So you've got to change it up. And that, that structurally is great. And it happens in all genres and, all, and even in drama. Mm. Sort of like not a genre. You still have to find that midpoint. There we go. The alarm went. It did. That, that's me three points. It is.
2: Thank you very much for sharing your experiences in making some films. And so you've had an idea, three do's and don'ts. I thank you very much for your time on the BritFlix
3: podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. and. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone, and enjoy future podcasts with Stu.
2: American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.
0: Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music,